Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's episode two of Trilogy Trifactor Weeks. I don't really have a name for this. It's just we're doing a trilogy of films. (laughs) And if you've been listening to the series, you'd know that we are in the second of our three journeys to Middle-earth as we watch The Lord of the Rings, The Two towers Woo. joining me to review uh, lord of the rings two towers we have as always someone who has seen the film and someone who has not uh, our guest who has not seen the film and was last seen heading towards the stinking marshes it is <laughs> rihanna hall hello back again yeah so it's been um you know it's been it's been a week since you saw the fellowship yes um have you had any more thoughts on the fellowship since you saw it um no uh other than that i just i actually really did quite enjoy it um yeah, you know when you watch a film and then you just kind of keep thinking about it and like replaying scenes in your head throughout that next week. It's just kind of been like that. So yeah, it's been that like, is the correct answer. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think I'm allowed to say that I dislike <laughs> it. Can I just put that out there? No, no, it no is problem. perfectly acceptable. Although, although today's guest, um, it wasn't so much a case of should we get her on for a Lord of the Rings film. It was a case of which one would she like uh so this is me letting the wookie win it is sarah curtis how are you good you wouldn't let me be on all three so you know i had to pick a favorite we, we do have to share it around unfortunately no. you know uh, professor tolkien didn't just write this for you well, are you sure about that mm. so um sarah yes you quite like the lord of the rings yeah it's, it's all right yeah, mm. yeah it's cool um I, obviously we're, we're doing a bit of understatement for comedic effect but just how big a factor has lord of the rings been in your life there's a can of worms um (laughs) i first read the lord of the rings when i was nine years old um it was my ninth birthday present from my parents the last birthday present from both my parents because my dad passed away that year um and it's also the same year that fellowship came out So I had these big books tucked away on a shelf somewhere and I started seeing the trailer for Fellowship and went, "Mm, that seems familiar. So I dusted off the covers and read all three books within about a week. And then two (laughs) days later, I went to the cinema and watched Fellowship uh, in the cinema. Mm. And since then, it's been my favorite book and film. Yes, and uh, uh, just to let a little bit of uh, daylight in on magic, um, Sarah here has uh, quite an extensive collection of Lord of the Rings-based paraphernalia, uh, multiple versions of the books in different languages, um, quite a few little pop vinyl figures of uh, these these figures from the films and from The Hobbit and things like that. Uh, The odd replica sword here and there. (laughs) We've all got our thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Billy Boyd's signature. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) And um, of of the different things that you have collected, 
um, because because I, I am actually curious because um, having seen quite a large amount of your collected uh, stuff, is there one particular thing that you own that's related to Lord of the Rings which stands out as being like this is the coolest thing or this is the thing that means the most to me? Oh, I don't know. I've got so many. Mm. Um, I really love the maps. I've always been mm. a bit of a map junkie. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so I've got quite a few different maps um, of different places in Middle Earth. Uh, so they're quite cool. Um, I've got one very, very cool one of all of Middle Earth. Well, the bits from Lord of the Rings. I don't have the full map because that's in a book somewhere. Um, but that was very expensive. Um, and that's on a wall somewhere. Uh, I've got a file of Galadriel. Um, which is quite nice. So Frodo's little light that he has. Uh, I've got that. Um, I love my jewellery. Um, mm. I've got an even star and I've got a ring of barra here, which is quite nice. I got that at Water Workshop. It was very expensive, but totally worth it. Mm. And the swords. I love my swords. Mm. So as, as, we, as you can hear, a bit of a collection. So Two Towers today, uh, yes. the middle film. Uh, now, Rihanna, mm. having now seen The Fellowship, what are you expecting from Two Towers? Um, lots of beautiful scenery, potentially. I know that I know from last week that there is at least one forest, thanks to Andrew. He oh, said yeah. that that's the bit that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, so this is very subtle better be hint. a good forest. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty impressive. Okay, it's good. Very foresty. <laughs> and I'm expecting at least two towers to be in there. Mm. I think that's all correct and fair. Yeah. Mm. Now, Sarah. Um, <laughs> We, I let you pick which of the Lord of the Rings films you wanted to, to watch um, because you are such a big fan and it just wouldn't be worth living if if I hadn't because you would have made my life a living hell. This is true, yes. Um, so what is it about the film version of The Two Towers that stands out for you as, as it being... Is it just that it was your favourite of the books or is it that you feel that what Peter Jackson and the team did with this film uh, elevated it above the other two somehow? I've actually been thinking about this all week because I knew you'd ask me this. Mm. Uh, I've actually got two reasons. Okay. Um, one reason is I love Rohan. Uh, it's my favorite location. Mm-hmm. Um, I love everything about the aesthetic, um, the history of it, the songs, the people. Just It just looks so pretty. And mm-hmm. yeah, I love all of those characters. Some of my favorite characters are Eowyn and Eomer. Um, but also when I first met my sister... Uh, when I was in Fiji, I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, maybe, mm-hmm. um, was just after it left the cinema, but before it came out on VHS. Right. Um, so it was this, this little sweet spot where I really wanted to watch it, but I couldn't. <laughs> um, it was very upsetting for 10 year old Sarah. Mm. Uh, but then we we're in Fiji, just meeting my sister for the first time. And in the hotel there, of course, hotels would get the movie first. Right. So we were there the first night when Two Towers was put onto their little television. Aww. So my first proper memory of my sister is the two of us watching the Two Towers three nights in a row until nice. the rest of the family <laughs> told us that was enough. You have to stop now. <laughs> that's, that's some pretty damn good reasons. Um, and uh, and I, I must say, of, of the three films, The Two Towers is the one that I tend to go to as being my favorite it I, seems to be the crowd favorite i think it was andrew's favorite last week it's yeah. your favorite sarah i'm guessing Which it's is interesting it's my favorite yeah. as well but when you think about it objectively fellowship is the best film uh, fellowship's the one that 
yeah, the, the Fellowship is, is is such a great standalone yes. film. Two Towers. Mm. If you just came into Two Towers without having seen Fellowship, you would be lost, and it would not <laughs> be a good film. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would still be a pleasing yeah. film to to look at, but um, yeah, you'd be going, "Who's this? What? Why do mm. I care about these people?" Um, but it, I think, what Two Towers does is it builds so much on what was set out in Fellowship, and just really. Um, just sort of improves everything it, like really um it, it, it heightens a lot of the tensions that are present from the fellowship and sort of builds upon them and you get to know more about the characters and mm. and you get some lovely um you get some lovely interplay particularly between legolas and gimli like you know the, the, you, these character dynamics change and grow and it's really pleasing and also it's just got some really uh, boss scenes in it. It's it's just <laughs> tremendously good fun. So with all that being said, shall we watch The Two Towers? I think we shall. Damn straight we shall. And for those of you listening at home, pop in your DVDs and bust out a loaf of Lambus bread as we prepare to watch Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Two Towers. And by we, I, of course, mean Sarah Curtis. And Rihanna Hall. So, Rhi, that was your first time watching Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. What did you think? I thought it was good. I thought it was... um, A lot more was at stake, I I Mm. have, you know, thought with this one. There was a lot more um, people involved, um, a lot more... uh, I don't want to say like races, but like a different, you know, families and things that we hadn't met before that were now being brought into this massive war. Whereas I think with the first one, you know, it was just a couple of little hobbits trying to run away. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Um, is It's upping the stakes to make mm. sure that, um, you know, there is that continued interest. And it's it's just really fun particularly because you don't have to have that establishing hour that you have to have in mm-hmm. fellowship which although it's great because you know you're introduced to the world and you get to see you know all the hobbits in hobbiton doing their hobbity thing which i love um <laughs> it's yeah in this it starts off and it's like right we're right into it boom mm. flashback to to gandalf and the balrog which <laughs> previously on yeah which yeah. i kind of feel we have to address first because you were you you weren't yes. convinced gandalf was gone at the end of the first correct one. yes so um yeah i was pretty happy that he was back well i mean i kind of had an inkling last week because i think y'all kind of mentioned him in the movie i was like wait what <laughs> yeah but i just finished crying yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of a hard one to keep secret because so. because he is such a big part of all three films where yeah. it's kind of like eh, yeah you always forget yeah, yeah. He, he is technically dead at the end of the first one true i mean they do that gag a lot the he's dead no he isn't they yeah. do that gag 17 times in lord of the rings wow what with gandalf or no just with, with different, different people yeah because like, like when frodo gets stabbed in the oh, uh, tomb yeah. when, when um pippin nearly gets trampled by a horse yeah. when aragon falls off a cliff when gimli's in that puddle <laughs> um yeah in fact it's it's probably quicker to go which characters didn't that happen to yeah. um legolas i don't think at any point in the two films we've no. watched so far i don't think at any point yeah Legolas is safe. Yeah, for now. I I think, like, yeah, he's... I don't know. I'm kind of confident that he kind of... I don't know, can just protect himself, that one. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Well, that's just Mm. it. There's still one film to go. Major character deaths to come. But yes, um, yeah, Gandalf 
returns. Yes. Um, and Gandalf the White. Gandalf the White, yes. Whole change of wardrobe, mm. new, new hair. New hairdo, he's had yeah. a spa day. Yeah. With bleach, you know, <laughs> yeah. does wonders. That's yeah. it. And he's, um, you know, he's looking all good. And then promptly makes a big impact in this film by disappearing for two thirds of it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's well, like, he's got to go find the rest of the plot. Like the plot <laughs> ran away. Yeah. Instead of being thrown in jail, the plot was banished. So yeah. he's like, <laughs> I, have to, I have to go and fix this mess. Uh, I will be back in the final five minutes. Yeah, um, to save the day. <laughs> yeah, and Sarah, rewatching this film for the first time in a week, in our case, after <laughs> your... Such a long time. It's been yeah. so long, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, but to be fair, um, the last time, what last version I watched was the extended edition. Uh, that's true. And it's interesting because watching the extended editions, which we did the other week where we watched all six, and I got to this point was like, oh my God... We've been here for so long. It's been days. Like, yeah. I'm ready for, for it to stop. So it kind of dragged, despite yeah. being my favorite. Mm. The timing in the theatrical release is a lot slicker. It is. It, it And again, I was surprised when, uh, before we started watching it, Reen, you asked mm. how long it was. In my head, I'd assumed it was over three hours. Yeah. And it's not. It's it's 173 minutes, including credits, mm. which is pacey. It's short. Pacey yeah. for Peter Jackson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's a novella, and he's um, and yeah, it, it watching it so soon after watching the extended edition, I felt there was a much bigger disconnect between the two films than there was between Fellowship when we did that, mm-hmm. um, because I, I mean there are obviously bits which were cut out of Fellowship, but I, it just didn't feel as jarring for me, mm-hmm. I guess, watching the theatrical release of that. Um, but yeah, Gandalf's role in this. Um, even having you know watched the film a week ago, it still takes me by surprise how little he's in this film. Mm. It's essentially oh, uh, fight at the beginning. Uh, oh, look who's back! <laughs> oh, better get sort out this old king. He's not so old now. Great, I'm gonna go. I'll be back for the end of the film. But that's, that's part it. of the stakes, and something that Fran and Philippa do really well is raising the stakes. Um, like you've got magic guy who could magic everyone out of out of trouble. We have to get rid of him. Mm. Like, otherwise... I suppose so, There's yeah. no stakes. Like, in the Hobbit films, everyone's like, oh, well, Gandalf's running around with these dwarves and they're just whacking people, you know, all the time. They're going to survive, obviously. Mm. But in this film, no, you get rid of the most, you know, highly powerful person, send him off on another quest so that you can actually, you know, feel these people in danger. Mm. Um, and to bring that back to the stakes, the way they do that really well is the little through line with the kids... Um, the with, refugee kids with the refugee kids yeah. uh, Freda and Erthen. Um shut up I didn't say a thing look one of my favourite characters from the book who got cut but whatever okay. um, anyway so you know just having those kids suddenly in trouble being split away from their mother and having to raise the alarm suddenly makes them important mm. so that when we get to Helm's Deep and they're being reunited but suddenly there's a big battle around them and they're sitting there in the cave looking scared like it makes you feel scared for them mm. and it makes you want to see them live, which is, you know, just a nice way of introducing characters who were not in the book, who we shouldn't really care about. And yet, you know, we follow them through the whole film. Mm. It's a good use of the language mm. of film. Mm. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Rohan is obviously where we should go next because it's where we spend a lot of the film. Yeah. Um, Re, what were your impressions of Rohan, the, the land of the horse lords? Um... Oh, God, I'm trying to cast my mind back now. <laughs> There's a lot of rocks, a lot of horses. It was a lot that, of grass. Yeah, that, um, oh, it was where the... Um, it was on the hill. Yes. Yeah. yeah the, the town on the hill. Yes, the town on the hill. Mm. Um, yeah, I think straight away when you're there, you know 
that that little Frankenstein's monster, when he creeps out of the corner, you're like, mm. okay, something bad's going on here. Mm. Um, so very interesting to kind of give you that straight away, I think, mm. rather than, you know, wait and kind of play things of like, oh, this king, he's so disconnected. You're like, oh, well, no, he's being mind controlled. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, interesting place um, to kind of go uh, because, you know, we've, we don't know really many people from this place before. So it's like, why should we care? But then, you know, you, you kind of do. You kind of, you know, you root for them because they're, um, I don't know, they feel like your team. Yeah, bit. they're kind of scrappy. And yeah. it's like, oh, oh those guys. I yeah. love those guys. <laughs> and when we meet them, they're in trouble straight away. It's yeah. like, oh, yes. the, the prince is dying. Uh, five minutes later, the prince is dead. Yeah. The king's all sat there all old. And, and you've Rural. got these, you know. Two, um, these, this brother and sister, um, Aomer and Eowyn, who are both like, we've got uncle, we've got to, we've got to help. Things are in trouble. And then you have Grima Wormtongue just sort of sliding out the corner, going, I'm, I'm trustworthy. <laughs> I will help you. But that's another way that they, that they built it, um, because uh, Theodred, in the books, he was dead. Like he does not rock up at any point. He's not being rescued and dying slowly in bed. No, he's just off-screen dead. dead. <laughs> so in order, again, to, to play with our emotions, they bring him and they physically have him there so that we have a reason for Theoden to be upset and a reason for Eomer and Eowyn to be upset. Mm. So it's not just like, oh, some guy died. No, it's this person over here. He died. I mean, it still feels a little bit like some guy died because yeah. you don't see him in the theatrical release doing anything. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> yeah, see, from someone who hasn't seen, you know, the director's uh, card and things like that. I kind of just didn't really care about mm. him. I was like, he hasn't said any words. It's I not think him I you're supposed to face. care about, though. <laughs> it's their grief over him. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. And I think that's pretty does. well uh, mm. communicated. And you know, straight away, it's like, oh, Aim has been banished for just cause. Almost, it's yeah. like <laughs> Green is like, oh, you, you figured me out. You fig- somehow figured out I'm evil. <laughs> the lack of eyebrows isn't it <laughs> yeah it really is i Real didn't know gaunt skin <laughs> yeah this was the first time i'd noticed he didn't have eyebrows it's really funny actually um because he spent so much time without eyebrows and then um you know after the film was done he was able to grow them back and his girlfriend was like yeah you've got eyebrows again and then they did pickups and she was just like, oh, you have to lose your eyebrows, don't you? Oh, fuck this. <laughs> and yeah, um, I, I mean, I do have to say, Grima Wormtongue, though very much, I would say, a a caricature, a really effectively used caricature, yeah. when you've got so much story to tell, it's kind of like, you sort of really need to know who the goodies and the baddies mm. are. There's no room for this kind of grey in-betweeny are they, bit. Aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only one you really get that with is Faramir, which um, we'll, we'll get mm. to in a little bit, but... Yeah, we, we meet the Rohirrim. Uh, King's not in a good way. Uh, exile's happening all over the place. But luckily, we've got three plucky adventurers in Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. <laughs> da, 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 da. Here they are, running through Rohan, trying to rescue Merry and Pippin, having a jolly good time, injuring themselves pretty much every day. <laughs> I feel so bad for them. Like, those actors hurt themselves so badly. So much. Like... Um, and it's, it's interesting looking at the character of Aragorn, in this second film mm. um, as compared to the first one because it's pretty obvious even I would say to a first time viewer like yourself Rihanna that they're setting Aragon up to be a much more important character in the mm. world of Middle Earth yeah and I feel as though this film is very much the well we need to help teach you what what leadership is about yeah I think so I think the first film was very much um, 
uh, I mean, as we mentioned, it was kind of Gandalf's story and even like a little bit of Frodo's story. But this one is very much Aragorn's story. I feel mm. like he is the main protagonist that you're sort of following through. Um, even though we still have, you know, the ring quest going on. This one kind of takes a lot more... I, I, I don't know if it does actually, but for me it kind of took a lot more screen time even. Mm, I don't know if that's true or not, mm. but yeah. Well, um, it's interesting because um, I also noticed watching it this time round that Merry and Pippin each get a film as well mm. um, for you know their little side quest. This was Merry's film. Mm. Spoiler alert, the next one's Pippin's film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with the Aragorn character... Um, something that happens in the books is whoever is narrating or, you know, whoever's thoughts you are in for a chapter, they're the weakest character in the scene. Mm. Um, so you have a lot of the hobbits because they're usually the weakest person in the, in the scene, let's face it. So in, um, fellowship, it's mostly Frodo. Mm. Um, and then when you hit two towers, it's Merry and Pippin and Gimli. Um, except the only time you really get into Aragorn's head is at the beginning of two towers because he is doubting himself all the way through Two Towers and going, oh shit, why did I leave Frodo? Why, why am I following Merry and Pippin? Oh, are they dead? Everyone's dead. It's my fault. Everything is my fault. Mm-hmm. I suck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only time you get in his head. So it's kind of fascinating that he's such a like, big heroic character in the film when in the books it's like, no, I suck at everything. <laughs> but you do see a little bit of that when they think that Merry and Pippin have been killed by the Riders of Rohan yeah. when the Urukai party got ambushed. Mm. And, you know, they find their remains um, and he's looking forlorn and giving up all hope until he's like, wait, no, tracking skills. Oh, he's a pretty good tracker, isn't he? Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's like something happened here. Like raised by the elves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, they make their way into Fangorn Forest mm. and it turns out Merry and Pippin uh, made a friend. Uh, they became literal tree huggers and became friends oh. with, uh, I almost called him Entbeard, Treebeard, the <laughs> Ent. Um, oh, just a really... Great character. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always find when, when this film comes up, I really like Treebeard because he feels very much like a proper Tolkien fantasy creation. Mm. It doesn't feel as though he, he would come out of any other type of story. Yeah. Well, fun fact for you. Um, I've been reading uh, The Histories of Middle-earth recently, and mm-hmm. I'm currently up to um, Return of the Shadow, which is where they do Fellowship of the Ring, mm. um, and when it was in its draft form. Uh, and the first time Treebeard ever rocks up as a concept is when Gandalf disappears at the be- in the beginning of the book. Um, and obviously, but in the end, when it, uh, when it was written, it was Saruman who had captured him. But in the original draft, it was a um, giant called Treebeard, okay. um, who was this big tree giant who had captured Gandalf and was evil and was going to torture oh. him. So mm. he's had like many versions in the past in yeah. many drafts. Well, I, I did quite enjoy this version, particularly it felt like a good foil for Merry and Pippin, who mm. in obviously in the first film, are real sort of pranksters. You know, they're yeah. stealing fireworks, they're cooking <laughs> food when they shouldn't be. And it's stealing almost as though crops. <laughs> yeah, it's like, right, right, we're going to put you with the most mature character yeah. possible. We're going to put you with like a thousand year old tree <laughs> man who speaks very slowly <laughs> you will learn patience i do love how he just starts to fall asleep mid-sentence as well he's like oh yeah this we're done oh no but you're still here <laughs> mm. and um the other thing was um it was just really fun that Treebeard was played by john reese davis who also plays gimli Oh, cool! I was well, wondering if go. I was Have wondering if you'd noticed or not. Nope. 
yeah because i didn't notice the first time i watched it but um yeah particularly listening out to his uh his voice um and the way he delivers it very differently yeah. from Gimli, it's it's quite fun because really there's cool. there's little bits you hear it's like oh that's obviously John <laughs> Rhys Davis, um and yeah the the ants get together they have their meeting meanwhile hard cut hobbits <laughs> they're, they're they're trailing through the 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 what is it the dead marshes and the and the horrible rocks oh, yeah. mm. uh, it's not called the horrible rocks but that's what I'm calling them yeah sounds great sure. yeah and the um, yeah, yeah, it's, that that, place. yeah, that's Alpha Horrible Rocks, right? Sure, yeah. let's go with that. Okay, and um, yeah, they're they're getting lost, and oh boy, this is bad. Uh, more Lambus bread, ha ha ha. And then they're in the night. They're encountered by the creature known as Gollum, who mm. clambers down, tries to get the ring off them, and gets captured by them. I remember quite distinctly that Gollum was kind of a big deal when this film came out yes in in particularly in terms of the advertising for this film um but it was one of the things that people were talking about a lot uh was this this cgi character that worked as Mm. opposed to jar jar binks from the phantom menace who who worked like (laughs) you go back and you watch phantom menace and you go wow a cgi character cool it's just a shame about what the character of jar jar actually is (laughs) um whereas this character Gollum, actually worked within the world well, they invented so much of the technology to make it work and everything that's come since has been based off this and you've got Andy Serkis sort of like going, yeah, let's go make all these other films to make this sort of technology happen and be a big deal. So yeah. it's a very important film, mm. historically. It is. And um, I, I'm i curious, Reek, mm. because obviously the technology itself is close to 20 years old. Um how does Gollum, in terms of the the looks within the film, how how does that character work? Does it still hold up, or do you feel as though it's there are cracks showing? No, I think it definitely does. Um, I, to be honest, like because I think even I don't think you have to have watched Lord of the Rings to know who Gollum is mm. as well, and and that must be to do with the marketing as well. Um, so I was even though I was very aware of you know the technology that's gone into you know, putting him there while watching the film, I wasn't, if mm. that makes sense. I think I was, there was a, a one point in a, like a battle where like a horse fell and you kind of saw a little clip of green screen and that's yeah. the only kind of time I noticed. Right. I never noticed anything uh, with Gollum. So yeah, I think yeah. it really did. I think is it fits so well into the character, uh, into the, the character, sorry, fits so well into the movie and into the world. Mm. You kind of just don't even think about it. You're not even thinking that oh like he's not actually there or yeah yeah i, think I mean just, physically very... he, he is yeah well yeah because that was the first time they used those sorts of suits which they yeah. have improved greatly since yeah hmm. <laughs> but i thought it yeah i thought it was seamless yeah i'm really um, the thing is i'm really glad to hear that because i don't know whether it's my own sort of are uh, my happy memories of yeah. watching these films when i was younger and seeing it when it was revolutionary technology and going Oh my God, how did they do that? That kind of thing. <laughs> well, I think um, when we're with that age, we're probably not thinking of the revolutionary technology either. Well, there's Unless a little, you're little nerd kids s- like me. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, it was it, w- it was really nice to see that it still mostly pretty mm. much holds up. And for me, it's, it really is only occasional things where it's kind of like um, a little bit when they've got close-ups of the face and there's this sort of like a skin texture thing which mm. just mm. just doesn't quite feel right but then again because Gollum is uh, sort of 
almost a, an otherworldly type mm. character as well because of what the ring has done to to Smeagol to make him become Gollum. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it works. Yeah, I think your brain can it kind of just allows exceptions for it because yeah. it's like, oh yeah, he is a weird character, so weird things mm. might happen. <laughs> yeah. And then it also helps that you've got just Andy Serkis knocking it out of the park yeah. <laughs> with creating this just horrible, feral, like weird cat monkey-like creature yeah. that's just <laughs> making these noises all the time and then just acting like a crack addict, just like trying <laughs> to get this ring back. And it's it's a fantastic creation mm. that really um, is is just such a big driving part of, of this film. Mm. Um, and it's so upsetting that at the time it wasn't considered acting. Well, yeah, there's a little bit of that which uh, I had down the trivia troll, but this is what we call a natural segue, (laughs) Um, where Peter Jackson and the filmmakers were pushing to go, Andy Serkis should be nominated for some sort of uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role uh, award, and the Oscars weren't... Because at the time, Academy regulations forbid an actor to be nominated when they weren't physically seen on screen. Wow, which he technically was. Technically is, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, but then again, it's it's groundbreaking. It was new. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that makes you go. As this becomes more and more prevalent, then it's the sort of thing that gets changed over time. And I mean, they won enough awards as it was. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Eventually, they did get what they needed. But I mean, they never won any acting awards in terms of like the big ones, like the Oscars. Hmm. None of their performances won that. And you look at. You know, you look at what Ian McKellen's doing as Gandalf. Mm. At the very least, you'd go, "That's, that's some pretty, there's some pretty hot shit right there." Yeah. You know? <laughs> what about Elijah Wood? All the shit he went through. Yeah. I mean, and it's impressive. Yeah, you know, there are there are notable performances in this, but then again, you know, it's it's that thing of it was it was a fantasy film. You oh, don't, they're not serious. You don't, yeah. And then over the course of doing three of these films, they had to go. Oh, turns out you can make these things really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Gollum uh, then is is overthrown by Smeagol. Uh, in, they basically go, no, the master's going to help save us and and look after us, and he guides them to the Black Gate, and then goes, eh, let's not go through there. That that's a, <laughs> that's a really stupid idea. You didn't ask. <laughs> yeah. And they try and go a sneaky back way, but get captured by Gondorian Rangers. Oh including Faramir, played by David Daisy Wenham, uh, who is, uh, it turns out, the brother of Boromir. And the character of Faramir is kind of interesting. I think he's the character that is most affected by the cut from theatrical cut down from extended edition. Um, Because in the extended editions, there are whole scenes where we see flashbacks with him and Boromir interacting before Boromir was sent off to go and be in the council to mm. sort out the one ring and we see um their relationship with their father denethor as well um and and how that then affects stuff that's going to come into the third film um and, but the character of faramir I'm, I'm curious to know what you thought of him uh in this in this theatrical cut Ray. i think it's it's kind of hard to gauge an opinion on him for quite a while because you're sort of you're thinking um Oh, like yeah, like I know we know Boromir, and he's a, he's a good lad, so mm. surely his brother will be also. But then he kind of refuses to give up, uh, you know, the hobbits, and he's constantly, you know, not tricking them, but he kind of tricks Frodo in that moment where he says, you know, go and get, you know, your friend then Gollum, uh, and then captures him when he kind of said that he wouldn't. Mm. Um, 
So, but you're, you're still kind of wanting to trust him the whole way. Maybe it's because he's just an attractive man. Mm. <laughs> it is possibly partly because it is David yeah. Wenham. And he just or you're does... just sensing the book. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, though, is for me, I think in terms of purely looking at it from a film perspective, Faramir is very much set up as the sort of the opposite of Boromir. You know, Boromir is kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. Give me the ring. Yeah. Uh, whereas... <laughs> Obviously, with Faramir, he just goes, the ring will be useful. And then he has that moment where he has essentially learnt, he's seen what the nature of the mission is, mm. and he lets them go. Yeah. Which... That's his ultimate redeeming feature. Kind of moment. Yeah. yeah. redeeming. He's perfect. <laughs> but it's also interesting because last week on the podcast, we were discussing how all the characters we saw uh, in that film, the only one who willingly let go of the ring was Bilbo. Um, and how that was kind of a really big deal. Mm. Um, Faramir, although never physically possessing the ring, um, would have had that draw to it. Mm. That would have been affecting his decision-making. Um, obviously, it's not to the same extent as someone who had the ring for six decades, but <laughs> but he does willingly give up the the sort of power and mm. the, the, the sort of enticement that the ring offers to um to men to to these weak-minded well, creatures he's a really strong character both in the films and in the book because in the film he does almost get tempted and then he goes you know what you can off you go my mm. goodwill with you in the book he's not even tempted mm. in the book yeah, right. he doesn't take them off course they just hang out in his cave for a night or two and then he sends them on his on their way wow and um, when he figures out what's going on he's like yeah i already swore that i wouldn't um touch this thing and oh look it's in front of me no i i gave my word so it's cool off you go but i think i actually like the film adaption a bit more in terms of a story pacing thing it's, it's yeah. sort of it's not yeah. interesting if he goes hi friends <laughs> yeah you know that sort of final act for frodo sam and Gollum is yeah. is a bit dull i mean that's 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 why they had to, you know, do all those cuts and changes. And because they were following, um, they were trying to link up the the timing. Because in the books, you've got one book, which is all Frodo Sam, one book, which is all everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so what you you go through an entire book without seeing Frodo and Sam. And then suddenly they have their own adventure for an entire book, um, which makes it really hard to, you know, follow all those beats like you do in a film. Which is why we keep making all these comments, um, as I'm sure you heard um, throughout the film of, you know, stuff that happens in the book that's not until film three. Mm. Um, And and that was one of the big things when these films first came out. There is a there is a specific character who is in the third film, Mm -hmm. but is in the second book, which is uh, someone that Frodo and Sam will encounter. Um, But in terms of the overall pacing of the trilogy, it makes much more sense to to put that character into the third film absolutely and, yeah. the pacing i mean in the third in um return of the king the frodo and sam book they have three chapters yeah like that's not very good for pacing in a film if they've only got three chapters next to like the 10 yeah. chapters of everyone else yeah and we are talking around it until next week's <laughs> podcast but <Yep. laughs> just just letting you know put a little pin in that there's yeah, there's someone coming up <laughs> yeah something's something's gonna happen um but yeah i i thought it was i thought it was ultimately a good decision mm-hmm. um to do it that makes sense uh, the main reason why I think people really like this film, though, and certainly the main reason why I loved it the first time I watched it, is Helm's Deep. Mm. Is just this, this. Pro- it's almost as though this is what the first two films have been promising. Where it's mm. kind of like we've seen some cool fights, you know. We yeah. in that opening, um, 
monologue in in the fellowship the opening montage where you know Kate Blanchett's going and on the fires of Mount Doom they they fought and you have like about 30 seconds of this big battle and that's like a little taster and then you get to Helm's Deep and you essentially get like half an hour of it and it's um it, it's all seems to be building up to this big moment mm. and then you have the battle and I'm yeah. curious I'm curious to know your sort of first impressions of it Ray. I think um yeah, I, I I really enjoy a good battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I was pretty happy when it came about. Um, yeah, like I feel like it just it ultimately brings up, you know, the tensions of the film. It's kind of where it all clashes, and um, you know, you get to thinking you're like they're losing here. Like you know, my team's losing. So like, who's gonna die? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and you see all these like heroic moments of of you know sliding down staircases and throwing axes and what have you um so yeah it's that whole sequence i think kind of almost made the film for me i think Mm. um because it i think it was just so well put together and there were almost like different stages of the battle Mm. that were happening as well yeah and i'm curious to know did you think anyone was going to die um yes but i didn't think that um our kind of like three main um guys were gonna die so i didn't think that like um like aragon legolas and Hmm. um uh dwarf (laughs) that would be gimli son of there we go (laughs) gimli yeah i was like (laughs) gilly yes Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I you... didn't think those three were going to die, but mm. I kind of thought maybe the king will die or, yeah. you know. He does get stabbed with a spear at he one does, point. He does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was very danger. After being there for like two seconds. Mm. <laughs> so heroic. Um, yeah, and the, the thing for Helm's Deep, which, uh, the, the thing I really like about Helm's Deep, uh, particularly watching it two times in the last week, is that it feels like the evolution of those old Errol Flynn movies. Like, you know, they've got people climbing up ropes while there's like Mm. siege ladders being thrown and there's just so much happening and it's so well considered the way it's shot as well like Mm. it's not just oh we'll show a shot of some ladders going it's like nope the ladders are all going up one by one individually timed so it's like a spiral of berserkers being thrown onto the onto the wall um it's it's just some really interesting shots and it's a really good combination of obviously uh, CGI work, model work, close-up shots uh, and and a lot of people standing in very wet New Zealand fields. Yeah. yeah. A whole Thanks. month of night shoots in the rain. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Although I find it interesting that after, what, 20 years, hmm. this film this fight sequence in this film is still so famous that the new game of thrones is still saying they're gonna have a fight sequence as good if not better than helm's deep Mm. and yeah yeah, i don't think they're gonna get there well i mean by the time this this episode of the podcast has been released maybe game of thrones have done that we 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 can do a poll yeah which was better to be honest i was kind of thinking of game of thrones during that and I, Mm. I i couldn't help but think that a lot of you know the fight sequences that we see now are very much inspired from you know these movies and i think partly what it is is yes it's a fantasy film yes it's you know there's orcs and there's you know nazgul riding fell beast Mm -hmm. where it's like oh that's a horse wait no it's a dragon (laughs) um you know they're they're doing all this stuff 
But I think the thing that really makes it enticing is those battle sequences have a realism to them, mm. sort of like a dirty grittiness, which just kind of is is captivating. Mm-hmm. And it you know it makes you feel that peril more so when mm. you've got you know big Urukai all there wandering around. And even though you know okay Legolas is going to do something really dumb and cool at the same time <laughs> and and kill all twenty of them, it's still something where you still have those moments of being drawn in because of the the danger present yeah um and i think that's certainly something obviously with something like game of thrones which tries its hardest to sort of infuse um that realism into into its Mm. fight scenes um i i think yeah this this battle sequence in particular was kind of a biggie for them to to draw upon i think that's it you're not necessarily thinking that you know there's elves on this side and little you know like orcs or whatever on the other side you're actually you kind of take those classes and those races out of it and you're just thinking there's just two sides battling Mm. here and it's very it's kind of human i suppose it's what you know our history is sort of made up of Mm. sadly enough but i think that's what kind of hits home for you yeah and to contrast it with um what came later in the hobbit films Mm. uh particularly the third hobbit film the battle of the five armies um I never felt that peril watching mm. those films. And that's the problem with those films, is yeah. even though you have huge character deaths in them, you don't ever feel like anyone's in danger until that moment. Mm. And even though you seem to go, oh yeah, I've read the book, I know these characters have to die, and oh, well, this is super upsetting, mm. you, you know that unless they are slated to die, they are so safe. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, But I also think it's partly, it was a stylistic thing with The Hobbit yeah. as well. They were trying out some different things. They didn't want to just recreate the lord of the rings yeah. uh because one they were all 10 years older and a lot more tired uh, but, also, <laughs> but also you know they're trying different things they're trying to push that technology which was helped mm. developed in these films and so i don't necessarily have a massive issue with the way they shot things in the hobbit simply because they were trying something a bit different mm-hmm. and it didn't work for me necessarily and it didn't work for a lot of the audiences but i still don't think it was bad and this it most was fun yeah but then when you see something like helm's deep you go oh but they they can do it perfectly <laughs> essentially <laughs> well again watching all six films back to back last weekend mm. we all sat there through all the hobbits going we'll do these first and you know we went yeah these are these are good films they're pretty yeah. fun what's everyone complaining about and then we get to fellowship and we're like oh <laughs> these are perfect yeah. Oh. yeah yeah and coincidentally that if you are going to do a six film marathon of the yeah. peter jackson middle earth stuff just do it in the chronological order of of the story because yeah, so hobbits first yeah 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 you'll you'll get you'll get what fun you can out of the hobbits and yeah. then you'll get the the dessert that is yeah that is these films um the only other couple of things we need to touch on uh the ants attacking isengard um yes. the 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 forest coming to Very life and cool. It was cool. Oh, I really enjoyed that bit because I'm like, yeah, nature, like get yeah. your own back. Yeah, it felt like a Greenpeace wet dream. It was, it was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they marched on Dunsinane. I mean, Isengard. Oh, mm. and when they and when they like, um, you know, burst down the dam and they all kind of stood their ground. And I was like, yeah, because you you love water. Like you get it. You get that drink <laughs> in your roots. Yeah, and the, yeah, the one, <laughs> yeah, the one that's on fire, dipping his head in it. Yeah, he just dipped his head, extinguished it, and he's like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, well, I love the origins um, of this. Is uh, Tolkien really hated Shakespeare? 
like oh. heated checks. So there's several moments. There's a really good one in Return of the King, which you'll love, um, <laughs> where you can go, ah, ah, Shakespeare, you did this better than Shakespeare. Oh. And one of the things he hated um, in the McScottish play was when they were going on about the woods marching um, on Dunsinane. Um, and then it turned out to just be guys with twigs, yeah. like attached to them. He was like, but where's the marching trees? <laughs> like, this would be so much cooler if there was a whole forest marching. Yeah. So he's like, I'll do it it's myself. Like, I'm going to do it myself. So mm. yeah, he improves Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Mm. Bold call. Uh, Speaking as an Oof. academic scholar person in Shakespeare and Tolkien studies, yeah. he did it better. No, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I'm going to agree. Um, I mean, there is this thing called metaphor, J.R.R., you know, but <laughs> never mind. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the end battle sequence is cool. Because also, the, the thing I really loved, and I said this when we were watching it, is Helm's Deep's just gotten going, you're five minutes in, and then they cut away to the Ents going, we have just decided you yeah. are not orcs. <laughs> and now we're going to just stand here very silently. And then back to the battle. Yeah. And I love that you, you, you're you almost like, God, these Ents, oh, they, they just don't do anything. They're so boring. And then, oh, wait, no, they, yeah. they like take down Wizard City. This is that's amazing. It. Once you like cross an Ent, yeah. that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, poor, uh, poor Christopher Lee Saruman is just wandering around his tower going, He's like, oh, oh, shit. oh <laughs> this, this has gone very badly wrong. Um, and yeah, the, the film uh, comes to a conclusion with Frodo and Sam being allowed to continue with uh, mm. Smeagol up uh, into their secret passageway. And we see Smeagol and Gollum having their tete-a-tete mm. with each other in the forest and going... Saying that she's going to take care she of She is. Who is she? Mm-hmm. She's... A female character? What? They're on first name what? basis, but... Yeah. There's... It's not a romantic character, is it? <laughs> well... I mean, Aww. if you think about it... <laughs> Damn it. I mean, yeah. they get pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... It, we, what, we, to Smeagol? There's, there's we'll, some insertions going on. Yeah, we'll... It gets we'll, a bit sexy. We'll, we'll, let you, we'll let you see it and, <laughs> okay. then, and then make a decision. <laughs> that one's up for debate. Um, but yeah, it is something that is very notable in, in this film. Um is, is that there aren't a huge amount of female characters. Mm. In terms of, like, named characters with agency doing mm. things, there's Eowyn, who is great. There's a little bit of Arwen, who we've already established is great, and mm. we get to see a little bit of her again. And then there's, um, I think, some of the horses. I think Shadowfax <laughs> is technically a well, girl. all of the writers of Rohan are technically women. Oh, yeah. I mean, in terms with of, like, beards. actors, a lot of the actors are, yeah, like you say, yeah. women in beards, or, the, you know, they're refugees running around going, my baby, or whatever. Um, but... There isn't a huge amount of female characters. And obviously that's a problem with the source text Mm. in terms of that's just the way it was written and Mm. um, and also the characters that they chose to keep for the story because obviously Mm. there were more female characters. But in the original text, there was a higher proportion of male characters. And it's interesting because a lot of complaints that people have about the books who don't really understand them is that it's, you know, so anti-women. When Tolkien, even though it wasn't, you know, the right term at the time, was a huge feminist. Like, he was all about supporting women. At a time in Oxford, when all the big academics were like, oh, no, women, they can't do the academic thing. We shall not teach them things. He was like, I'll teach you. So most of his students were women. And he got a lot of women through their PhDs when they were not being allowed into those sorts of programs. Mm. Um, So all of his best characters are women. Yeah, you can't look at what he did with with Eowyn and go, this is a guy who doesn't like women or doesn't believe in their cause. And like her character development, particularly from this film to the next film as well, is is just one where you go, yeah, he, he clearly had a viewpoint um, even though the, there wasn't a huge amount of female characters, the ones he had mm. were pretty dope. Yeah. And, and I think that's just uh, what I'm noticing a lot recently as well. 
uh, not even with just Lord of the Rings, but even in, you know, in, in uh, movies and TV shows, things are getting very dated very quickly in terms of, mm. you know, female characters and feminism. And now that we're seeing, thankfully, now that we're seeing, um, you know, strong female characters that aren't a love interest, mm. you know, we're starting to look for that in older movies when obviously it's just not going to be there. But yeah. that's just, it's just kind of the time and whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, but I don't think there's any malice behind this. I'm not mad. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I uh, speaking as a, as, a, as a male, you feel free to correct me on this, but I, even though Eowyn is very much set up as being like, oh, Aragorn, he's so, he's so nice <laughs> and lovely and I want to make little horse babies with him. Um, that, that, that was the impression I was getting. Yeah. I also don't feel as though she lost agency from that like she was yeah. her problems in terms of um her femininity femininity was the cause of her suppression from theoden in terms of no you can't fight get everyone back to safety mm. um which is a theme that continues into the third film yeah i don't feel as though her having the hearts for vigo mortensen which no. let's face it who we didn't do. who didn't in who 2002 <laughs> yeah um it's it's one of those things where I don't feel like it was reduced. And I, no. I, yeah, I just wanted to check in. That's... Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, it's, um, yeah, you can see her struggle is with her father and it's more, I'm, I'm happy that she is a character mm. that has something to prove as mm. well, because I'm excited to see how that pans out. And, you know, in this movie, I think it was her introduction and she's saying, I can fight, let me fight, which is a good, definitely a very good start. Mm. So, mm. And, you know, she is placed in leadership responsibility as mm. well um, in the film and more so in the book, because in the film, of course, is like, you must lead them to Helm's Deep, which is sort of like an echo of uh, in the book when they're leaving Edoras, Theoden's looking around going, ah, oh, there's no heirs because Eomer's coming with me. And like, who's going to lead our people? And they're like, um, how about someone of your bloodline? He's like, no, there's no one. And everyone else <laughs> is literally like... Eowyn is right oh there. She's the daughter of your bloodline. She will lead us. Yeah, like, it, come it, on. It is really interesting yeah. that you have Eowyn going up against her uncle, who is this king, and it's literally the patriarchy. Like, yeah. he is literally that society's <laughs> patriarchy. And he, I don't ever think Theoden's doing it out of malice. No, he's Theoden, a great character. It's partly the, I must protect this sweet, innocent, like, child niece <laughs> of mine. <laughs> but also at the other part of it as well, I think it's also just partly, like, the, the Rohan culture in the films seems quite, you know, male, quite mm. macho, like a lot of the, the, the other cultures um, in, in Middle-earth as they're depicted in the films. So, yeah, I think it's... I think it's an interesting depiction um, how how that is set out in the films. Mm. And it's one that I'm looking forward to seeing more of in yeah, Return of the definitely. King. Um, what was the standout moment of this film for you, Sarah? If I had to go pick pick a specific moment or frame, or it, it, I'll even expand it as far as like a scene, like a small scene. <laughs> I, have, I have two moments and okay. they're both musically based. Ah, um, yes. So the music of of this film is my favorite music mm. ever. It's they're taking the hobbits to Isengard, <laughs> isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, that and um Will and Masham stick him in the stew. Yeah. yeah, they're my yeah. my favorite <laughs> favorite beats. Yeah. Um which I, you know, tried so hard not to sing. Mm. Uh no, but um yeah, again this is one of the reasons I love Rohan so much is that violin section. The 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 um, riders of Rohan theme is just so beautiful. And there's two moments where it becomes really prominent. Um when you've got Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli running 
around in Rohan and suddenly there's riders coming at them like riders of Rohan what news from the mark and there's just like the music in the background Hmm. that's just like my favorite piece of music there and then um, when Aragorn is being all manly on his horse Brago who randomly shows up because they cut (laughs) that scene from this film whatever not mad Um, when they're they've just seen the uh, the Uruks and they're riding to um, Helm's Deep again there's some really pretty music in the background that's just like epic shot this is what we have for the trailer like <laughs> in the fellowship trailer where they're all like walking across the mountain and you've got that theme that's the moment for Two Towers and there's a similar moment in Return of the King where there's like the trailer music trailer mm. shot <laughs> with epic mountains in the background like mm. I just love it yeah uh, Ree was there a moment from this first watching that really stuck out for you I think the battle sequence, mm. I think that whole bit made the movie for me. I think um, it, I think that's what this whole movie was about, and I think it was executed well. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, would you guys like some trivia? Oh, I'd love some. About two Throw times. it at me. I challenge you to find something I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, it's unlikely, but we'll give it a, a red hot go. <laughs> the filmmakers couldn't recruit enough men that were six foot high to play the Urukai. So men from five foot high were cast. These shorter ones were affectionately nicknamed the Uruk Low. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Love it. It's like their uh, their bigotures. Yeah. They're, um, they're models which are really big, but still technically miniatures. I was wondering how they were going to get so many big men <laughs> for this. <laughs> mm. Viggo Mortensen broke two toes when he Classic. kicked the helmet next to the orc pyre. Ah. And that is the shot that appears in the film. So he actually That's breaks he his toes. Breaks his toes. Yeah. <laughs> so yelling. Oh. when he does that scream, that ah, <laughs> it's accurate. <laughs> it's partly him going they're dead, but it's also partly going I've broken two toes. Yeah. Oh my god. Let's keep going with the shot, guys. Yeah. Well, Peter Jackson said he was really impressed with the shout of pain. Aragon cried out, but then only realised that it was for the pain later. <laughs> he was also impressed that Mortensen continued acting uh, even while seriously injured. Um, although Viggo yeah. Mortensen has also remarked that. It's only notable because an actor did it. If a stuntman did it, nobody would blink an eye. Damn straight. Yeah. He's so cool. All of Viggo Mortensen's trivia is basically just about how nice he was while they were making these films, I should point out. It's either he hurts himself or he's buying horses for people. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, uh, here's my bit of trivia for you. Mm. So um, that shot when they're doing, you know, um, a red sun rises, blood has been spilled this night. For like, there's like two Mm. seconds Mm. of them running through the rising sun. So they were talking about, you know, how they were going to film it and, you know, who was going to come. And then Vigo was like, hey, guys, let's just go camping one night. We'll go camping at the location and go fishing. And then we'll get up really early um, so that, you know, when the sun rises, we can get that shot. Mm. And literally everyone else was like, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) So like Miranda Otto and like Bernard Hill were just like, yeah, we'll rock up. We'll go camping with you. So like half the cast is just just like, just they went camping and fishing together so they could get that two second shot. Yeah. I mean, it is a nice shot. It's beautiful. Yeah. So good, good, good guy, Vigo. Andy Serkis was pitched the role of Gollum by his agent who rang him up and asked if he wanted to do three weeks voiceover work in New Zealand. Uh, but when Peter Jackson was completely blown away by Circus's audition, he decided that he had to have him perform the movements of ah, Gollum as well. So that wasn't planned. That was it. Was just going to be a voiceover originally. Yeah, but wow. they, um, yeah, obviously, Andy got into it. That's one there of that's one of the strengths of these films as well is that they were so open mm. to that sort of thing to happen. Like if they went with their original plans for all of these films, they would have been shit. Yeah, <laughs> like they would have been so terrible. And it's instead, been one movie. <laughs> yeah, they. In fact, if um, the first one had been terrible, the other two were going to go straight to VHS. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they 
they found the strengths of all the people around them, all the production crew and, you know, all the team and just went, you've pitched a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah, nice. Uh, On the wall uh, of Helm's Deep during the battle, there's a one-eyed warrior that turns to the camera, uh, Mm. revealing a scarred, empty socket. The performer who played him showed up as an extra wearing an eye patch. Uh, Peter Jackson politely asked to see what was under the patch and then inquired if the gentleman would be interested in appearing in the movie with his eye socket. Yeah. Uh, the guy in question was reluctant at first because he was self-conscious about his, his one eye, but afterwards said that the experience has made him more comfortable with his condition. Aww. Good guy, Peter Jackson. That's so yeah. nice. And it is like, that's something that always stood out as well, where, mm. you know, he's turning and, and you, it, it it does help. It's one of those things yeah. where it's not, you know, it's not like a, a Victorian freak show oddity. Where you're going, oh, grotesque. It's where you're <laughs> looking at it and going, oh, these are like haggard yeah. mountain dudes. Who are who are like fighting and there's like one who's missing an eye. Yeah, and yeah. They've been fighting their whole lives, and yeah. you can tell just from that shot. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because it's such a quick shot, but it sticks with you as well. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. You looked, yeah. you looked you absolutely look, fabulous. You did such Wonder. a good job. Um, there were so many extras used for the Helm's Deep sequence uh, that went for so long that they pretty much all got t-shirts that said, I survived Helm's Deep. Um, <laughs> there were so many people that had these shirts, extras would often meet, meet each other in New Zealand's major cities because they'd be wearing the shirts Aww. and going, oh, I was there. Oh, yeah. that's so nice. Um, as orcs have black blood, it was only natural that the inside of their mouths shouldn't be pink, but black as well. Mm. So to achieve this, orc actors had to swill a licorice-based mouthwash <sighs> prior to their scenes. There actually, there was a scene where I think one of them was speaking really menacingly mm. and this little black goo kind of came out of their mouth mm. and I was like, yeah, we don't <laughs> what see, is that? <laughs> we don't see a huge amount of the orcs in this film, but the ones that we do see with the, what about their legs? Like those guys. Yeah. They're gross. Oh, they're disgusting. And I love them. <laughs> Again, Peter Jackson just doing his little gross thing. Like, that's yeah. how he started all his films. It's just the really grotesque shit. And, yeah. you know, now he's like this big mainstream person. Mm. Uh, the scene where Gandalf calls for his horse uh, and Shadowfax comes galloping up across oh, the field was achieved in the first take. Yeah. That's Whoa. a first take shot. Gandalf is an actual... Well, I mean, Gandalf is a wizard, but <laughs> Ian McKellen is yeah. an actual wizard. <laughs> That's why they cast him. Yeah. Uh, when Miranda Otto arrived on set, she was introduced first to the people she'd be working with most. When she met Viggo Mortensen, she commented about her character falling in love with his, saying, it's going to be so easy to fall in love with that man. <laughs> Same. Which is, which is fair. Uh, John Reese davis uh, had lost the tip of his left middle finger when he was younger in a farm accident. Whoa. So he had a special prosthetic fingertip that was made uh, from the cast of his right finger. So he decided to pull a prank on Peter Jackson. He cut the tip off his prosthetic <laughs> finger and filled it with fake blood and then went up to Jackson and said, Boss, I've had an accident. Oh, my God. Just for funsies, yeah. as you do. Well, you know, if you've got, if you've got, if you've got like it, that. wouldn't yeah. have even been the worst injury on that yeah. film. I mean, come on. Mm. Uh, speaking of John Reese Davis, we said before he was the voice of Treebeard. It wasn't achieved with any electronic distortion. It was made by the actor speaking in his naturally booming voice at the lowest pitch possible through a wooden megaphone. Cool. Yeah, I think that wooden megaphone really. Yeah, I mean, it's cool that it's wood. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it really did add that sort of. Um, 
that the, the sort of quality to the voice that made it sound as though it was actually mm. coming from the trunk of a from, tree. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. also because usually we, we talk on the exhale of a breath and he was talking on the inhale of the breath and it just made it so oh. different. Mm. Acting. Uh, Acting. <laughs> the 10,000 uh battle chants for Helm's Deep sequence were provided by a stadium of 25,000 cricket fans uh, who chanted the following war chants, Derbgu, Nashgushu, Derbgu, Dashu, spelled out on a screen with Peter Jackson leading the crowd in how they should chant it. That's so good. So he just rocked up at this cricket match and yeah. was like, hey, I'm making a film. Do you want to give us a hand? So literally all <laughs> of New Zealand in is in this film. <laughs> and it makes sense. That's great. Um, the main door of Helm's Deep was built so heavy and so well that the real battering ram failed to knock it down. <laughs> The Weta Workshop had built it that little bit too well, so it had to be weakened for them to break through it. Peter Jackson uh, can be heard commenting on extended edition DVD commentary by saying that if he had to defend a castle, he would rehire all the Weta yeah. Workshop people. <laughs> which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, to build you a house. <laughs> Uh, on Miranda Otto's first day of shooting, Liv Tyler was said to have welcomed her enthusiastically by going, I'm so glad there's another woman on this film. Oh, <laughs> she's like, yes. Yeah. Um, but as you say, uh, many of the Rohirrim riders, uh, Sarah, were in fact uh, women with beards glued on in a sort of, uh, are there any women here? No, no, no. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, lovely Life of Brian yeah. thing. Uh, Peter Jackson did note that in many cases they were a bit more skilled than the men mm, riding those horses. Not surprising. So, you know, you know. <laughs> um, the Dead Marshes were filmed in a water-filled parking lot. Uh, which required about 11,000 sandbags to keep it all in place. Mm. Uh, it was the same area what, that they'd used to shoot the outside of the Mines of Moria. That car park is near a train line. So people on oh. trains were able to see Elijah Wood, Sean Astin and Andy Serkis. Just crawling around. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> What's that? Oh, it's those, it's those Hobbit boys. They're, they're playing in the car park again. <laughs> With their giant feet. Mm. Uh, Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan spent so much time in the tree beard model that they mm. were sat in, because obviously they had to sit in his hands and mm -hmm. on his head for so long, um, that they had enough time to write a screenplay while they were up there. Wow. <laughs> Additionally, it was quite difficult to get them down from their perches, so they were often left there during breaks uh, because it would take too long to get them back in. So they just let they just bring them food. <laughs> yeah, occasion, occasionally some some of the crew would throw them food, but sometimes they wouldn't. Oh, they'd just sit there and hang out. <laughs> yeah. You guys will be fine. Method acting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, the location for Edoras, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to talk about this. So cool. Now, is that one of the places you've been to on your tour? No, it's okay. actually so hard to get to mm. that um, there is a tour that goes there, um, but you, you can't just go there on your own because you're just driving for hours. It's so far out of the way. <laughs> so the, the note I have here is that it's in the middle of a, um, a national park and that the Conservation Society of New Zealand gave the film permission to uh, film there on the proviso that they left it exactly as they found it. Mm. So this meant that most of the natural vegetation and um, grasses were taken up and stored in a purpose-built nursery for the 16 months that they were there. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, they, they just went and they built that town out on a hill in the middle of nowhere. And it it's, looks so cool. It looks it's so real. cool. Yeah. Um, so you've done the Hobbiton tour. Sarah. Yes, several times. Several um, times. I went, uh, I was 12 the first time when there wasn't much there because originally they were going to destroy it. 
um, they they were halfway through getting rid of the set. Uh, I think there was a huge storm, mm. um, so they had to stop. And by mm. that point, because it's on someone's farm, like right. you know, they they got someone's farm, and they're like, "Yeah, we're just going to build a set for a little while. You can have your farm back later." Yeah. Um, but people just started rocking up and wandering through and taking photos. So the guy at the farm was like, "This is a really good <laughs> biz- business oh, venture." Cash in on this. So. <laughs> They so he he started a business and got permission to to just show like the empty shells like it's just basically just like white shells of the Hobbit holes and wasn't much there it was pretty shit. Mm. Um, but then of course when they did the Hobbit film, they mm. knew that they were going to leave it there. So they spent two years building it up, making the gardens like properly there. They built up the facades like with you know proper wood and stone, mm. so that when you go now you are literally in Hobbiton. Yeah. It is so pretty. I've done that particular tour twice. Um, I did the night tour because you get to go to the Green Dragon and eat a meal there. Oh. And like, it's the best cider in the world, by the way. If yeah. you ever want really good beer and cider, and go to the Green Dragon. <laughs> Makes sense. Cool. But that sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I, I cannot wait to make it over there and do it myself. Uh, Vigo Mortensen, injury update. Do, 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 do. Uh, he broke a tooth during the shoot. He wanted to continue and requested that super glue be used to reattach oh the broken tooth. Uh, producer Barry Osborne told him, nah, and they <laughs> took him to the dentist in full costume. So he went, he was sat in a dentist covered in like fake blood yeah. and in his costume. In the waiting room. Put the tooth back in and then he went back to set and finished shooting. I can like, imagine oh. him like, or like almost chugging a tantrum being like I'm fine like we don't need to be here like yeah. take me back I just like the idea of a full Aragorn in like yeah. battle gear wandering into a dentist and uh, what appears to be the problem sir <laughs> well he nearly got arrested several times oh for the sword for practice the sword, sword yeah. practice. we did speak about that, about that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah good 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 just just yeah yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of last week's episode, mm. we said Orlando Bloom auditioned for a different role before oh, he got yeah. Legolas. It was Faramir. Oh, that was oh, the, there you go. Yeah. So he could have oh, been the broody no. one. No. <laughs> I think I think Legolas was the better choice. <laughs> Certainly. And also, David Wenham, you know, he's got a bit of the yeah. Sean Bean look about him. He does a bit, yeah. But, you know, they, I, I, I'm Whereas I don't think, yeah, I don't think that Orlando Bloom and Sean Bean are, too, are similar enough, I don't think. Mm. Mm. Uh, last week we talked about that the fact that the sound of the Nazgul was Fran Walsh screaming yeah. with a cold. Yeah, yeah. oh, with a cold. Yeah, she had a cold. Um, the sound of the fell beasts that the Ringwraiths ride is actually the noise of a donkey. Oh, great! It's a very poorly donkey, but the yeah. sounds of it. They may have edited it. They yes. don't actually say. Uh, one frame of Gollum in the film would take about eight minutes to render. So obviously, twenty-four frames a second. Yeah. Long film, yeah. a lot of rendering. But a single frame of tree beard could take up to 48 hours to Ooh. render. And don't believe in appearing in a film unless it takes a long time <laughs> to render. Oh, those poor editors just sitting there. And occasionally they dip, they would come back and find there'd been a glitch, particularly with yeah. Gollum. So like one time, I think it was one where Gollum's eyes kept bulging whenever he spoke or all his hair yeah. was standing on end oh. and they're just like, got to redo it. They look like, great. Right. <laughs> um, the Lambus bread that Sam and Frodo eat at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film was made from shortbread cookies. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, um, we've actually eaten Lambus bread recently, Sam, mm-hmm. at your, at your uh, middle earth birthday extravaganza. Mm. And it's pretty damn good. I make some good Lambus. Mm. I didn't quite like the recipe that I found online, so I altered it a little bit just mm. so that it'd be a bit more tasty. Because the first time was a bit crumbly and dry, so I added a bit of honey. And... What, so is it basically just shortbread, is it? It, yeah. it is, yeah. 
great. Just shortened. <laughs> it's amazing. And finally, uh, Brad Dourif, who plays Grima Wormtongue, he mm-hmm. with no eyebrows, has a goddaughter named Arwen. Oh, so beautiful. That's mm. nice. So that's the trivia. Sarah, did you learn anything? Okay, so there was one tiny detail that I didn't know. Oh. Uh, and that was um, when John Reese davies was doing his lines through the wooden uh, megaphone. Ah. I didn't know it was wooden. Right, there, there we go. go. Constantly <laughs> Got learning. You. you think you know Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to fight. Yeah. What a hack. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Who's, who's writing papers? Who's going to a conference and talking about Lord of the Rings in like a month? Uh, it's not me. It's this <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, with all that being said, let's score the Ooh. film. So, Re, you get to go first. What score would you give the two towers out of ten? I think oh, I'm gonna gonna put a different opinion out here. I think I preferred the first one. Ooh. Okay. I know. No, that's but fine. I still enjoyed this movie, so I'm gonna give it seven surprise wooden megaphones. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Sarah, what about you? Look, I'm biased. Yep. This is my favourite film mm-hmm. ever. Mm. Um, so I think we're going to have to have 10 looks like meats back on the menu, boys. <laughs> um, I actually found in this rewatching that I think I slightly preferred The Fellowship from Ooh. this particular watching. The thing is, is that they're so good, the opinion changes kind of all the yeah, time, every yeah. time I watch I imagine, them. I honestly, I imagine I'll watch this film again and be like, nah, it's the best one. Yeah. And for me, watching it this time, it kind of felt, it's so good, but mm. at the same time, it's one of those things where it, it's it, it's like comfort food. It's like, mm. you know, it's like a warm bed. It's like a nice pair of slippers. It's just something that I know what's going on when I'm yeah. in Two Towers. And it's yeah. kind of like, oh, he fell off the cliff at the Rag Attack or the, or the um, you know, oh, that village is on fire. You know, oh, Christopher Lee is doing his booming voice thing. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's just one of those things that's just like, this is fun. Um, and, you know, oh, look, there's the mama kill, the elephants. Uh, I wonder if they'll turn up in the third film. Hint, hint, they will. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just, it's so much fun. But in terms of trying to look at it objectively as a standalone film, it, we already said it doesn't work if you haven't seen The Fellowship. Mm. But as a continuation of what Fellowship is, I think it is fabulous. I think it mm. does a really good job of that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give it eight and a half I'm going to give it well actually I'll give it four all thanks and four and a half baradours <laughs> out, out, out of ten so it's eight and a half overall eight and a half two towers yeah they don't say those two towers enough that's no, the thing they don't. before we go Return of the King mm-hmm. next week yep. uh, Re, I'm going to ask you mm. what are you expecting from the Return of the King honestly I have absolutely no idea I think um, I feel like I've seen all of the cliche Lord of the Rings you know, like memes and stuff that I kind of seen from before. I feel like I've seen them all now, so yeah. I don't know what's left. So honestly, it's going to be a whole new slate for me. So mm. we'll see. A surprise, even despite the title, it's going to be a surprise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Sarah, last week we asked Andrew to um, to give Re like a non-spoilery sort of thing to look forward to in the film, okay. and he picked the forest, which obviously turned out to be the ends. I loved the ends as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what is something that you think Re should look out for or should look forward to from Return of the King in as vague and non-spoilery a way as <laughs> you can? Non- See, I'm trying to think of like, everything that's coming to mind is from the extended edition. Mm. And so it's not actually in the theatrical release. Um, there's a lot of spirits in the next oh. film. Take that of that however yeah, you will. That's yeah. all I'm telling you. You know what? That's a really good one. 
There is mm. a lot of spirits. Mm. And you know, there's another um, mixed Scottish play reference, which is pretty epic. So, yeah. Mm. Like. Cool. So yeah, look out for them when we uh, reconvene next week to finish our trilogy, Ooh. which is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. All it remains for me to say is, Sarah and Rihanna, thank you very much for joining me on Thank this episode. You. Thanks for having us. And for those of you listening at home, guess what? If you want to hear Return of the King's review and you're like, ah, oh, but I don't want to find it, then <laughs> just subscribe, silly. We're available on um, iTunes or SoundCloud or other podcasting and podcatching services. Just hit subscribe and you can get a new episode every single week. Uh, we're also available on Facebook if you want to pop on there and give us a like or throw in your comments in your reviews talking about how much you enjoy these films or don't enjoy these films or I can't remember the character's name still. <laughs> and it's too confusing that one's from mum uh, <laughs> like, I, I feel uh, your mum to be honest <laughs> yeah she always referred to Gandalf as Merlin and um, Bilbo Baggins as Billy and that See, was my mum loved Theoden so it was that nice old king oh yeah <laughs> nice well yeah king. she'd also go oh Bernard Hill like <laughs> yeah. yeah so that I, guy from Titanic <laughs> yeah um, anyway, if you want to leave those comments, find us on Facebook. Just just drop us a comment there. And, of course, there is also the Patreon, the Super Secret Club, which gets uh, some super secret content. Uh, if you want to become a member, just go to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. But that is all for this week. So until next time. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. God, 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 They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. God, 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 God. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. God, 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 God. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.